0: Without further ado, I declare the 2021 Region 2 Virtual Convention open. Let there be recovery. Now, I'm going to turn the convention over to, turn the convention over to Program Co-Chair, Barbara R. Take it away, Barbara. Hi there, hi, and thank you, Anne. We've arrived at a very special time in our program where we get to hear from three amazing speakers. Our first speaker has been a dear friend of mine for over 40 years. She has 47 years of recovery. I'll let her tell you how she did it. Please welcome Tricia C. Hello,
1: everybody, I'm uh, Tricia. I'm a compulsive over here, and um, I would first like to thank all of the volunteers for making this convention possible for us to enjoy. To qualify, my abstinence date is February 16, 1974, and my top weight was 60 pounds more than I weigh now. And I lost weight before I came into the program, so I lost only 40 pounds. I was eating for about 25 years before I found OA. And I want to read you a quote from the Overeaters Anonymous, 12 Traditions and um, 12 Steps um, from page 6, because this will tell you um, how I got I got here because I ate compulsively. And maybe you will relate to this also. This is from page six. We ate to sate the fears, the anxieties, the angers, the disappointments. We ate to escape the pressures of our problems or the boredom of everyday life. We procrastinated, we hid, and we ate. And if you'd like to know all of the different methods that I've tried, if you would turn to the OA 12 and 12 to page 9, that'll describe to you some of the methods. And also from Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, page 31, that'll also describe some of the methods I've tried, and I'm sure you've tried them also. I want to talk about the first thing that happened to me that was so humiliating. Uh, And that was, of course, a long time before I heard about Over Anonymous. And I uh, applied for a job with the phone company. And in the olden days, there used to be only one phone company in in our whole country. And so I thought the interview was going really well. you know, I'm young. And I just think it is going to. Be. Well, this interviewer, she took me into another room. She put me on a scale, and she weighed me. Then she took me to her room, back to her interview office, and she said, "We can't use you." Oh, I was so humiliated. Now I was overweight. no, no doubt about that. She wouldn't have put me on that scale. I had such low self-esteem and and low self-confidence. OA gave me confidence that I didn't have it then. Before OA, I was getting an idea that there was something kind of wrong with the way I was eating. In the 60s and 70s, there wasn't much known about um, um, uh, eating disorders. And um, so, I I didn't know a lot, but I did know two two things. One, that I had two kinds of hunger, and one was stomach hunger, and the other was head hunger, and how I described those today, after I came into the program, I learned what they were, that the stomach hunger, that's when you haven't eaten for seven or eight hours, and your body is telling you that you need some nutrition to keep going the head hunger. I know today what that is. (laughs) You know, that was the obsession. And I had no idea I had such an obsession, but I do have an example of that. And I'm gonna tell you about that example. About three months after I started my abstinence in 1974, my boyfriend of nine years, Went to Las Vegas and he married somebody else. And then I found out I had cancer. So what happens with compulsive overeaters? We usually get out of control because we want to eat and we eat and we eat. Well, my emotions got out of control, but I didn't overeat. It seemed like to me the only thing that I had left was to hang on to my abstinence. So I hung on with both my hands as strong as I could and I didn't eat over it because I've learned that eating over it doesn't change it. Life happens to us. You know whether we're abstinent or not, but I've stayed abstinent. One of that obsession that I was gonna tell you about Okay, so I had about a year and a half abstinence and I am lost my weight and I think everything's going good. I'm, I'm abstaining and I'm going to meetings. That's the only thing I was doing. But I thought I had it all together. And one day I walked in my house, I opened the door and I spotted a box of candy in a chair. And my body ran over to that box of candy, and ripped it open. And a miracle. The miracle was the box was empty. My children had eaten the box, what was inside. It scared me to death. Here, I almost lost my abstinence without thinking. You know, I learned later I had no defense against um, taking that first bite. My body wanted that first bite. I ran to the phone and I called a person that I knew was home. So, what that did for me it was a big life changer. I, well, I picked the second meanest sponsor in our area. And I did that because I was desperate. And she sponsored weight and measure food, reading and writing. Calling her every day with my food and sharing what I read, Um, she sponsored that you had to make phone calls. And before I had that box of candy episode, it was too hard for me to do anything like that. I couldn't even call a sponsor. But now I was scared into recovery. I had willingness and I had surrender. And what a difference that made in my life. Because I started working the steps. And a great miracle happened to me is because working those steps, I learned about myself. And as I learned about myself, I was able to repair the relationships in my life. I was able to function in society where I could not do that before. It was, it was great. And then another thing happened. Not of my control, but after I did the fifth step, sometime after that, that compulsion was taken away from me, that obsession, and it hasn't come back. And it hasn't come back because I keep doing OA recovery. Now, I I don't know how not to do that. If I don't do it, I might go back to the person that I was. And I didn't like me, so how could anybody else? But today, I work the steps, and working the steps gives me joy and freedom that I never had before. Even today, I still go to two step studies a week. Um, One is a committed step study where we do homework, we do writing and reading, and we share that with uh, other people. The other one that I go to is a regular, I call it regular, just a regular OA step study where we read the book and we share about the book. And I find both of those really important in my life, you know, working the steps. And I can do them both at the same time. And they both help me to see my behavior, my attitudes, um, and the different ways that I can change my life today for the better. Because I'm a work in progress and I'm willing to take the action to also do that kind of work. Another thing that's really helped my recovery and it's helped my abstinence too, is service. You know, we're so lucky we have people that are with us today that are um, providing this wonderful um, Convention for us, they're volunteers, you know, and that's what we learn in Overeaters Anonymous. I I first did service because it's a volunteer organization, and first I did um, at the meeting level. Um, I helped with chairs and, and things like that, and then a the nice lady asked me to um, be secretary, and I had learned in OA don't refuse a reasonable request. Well, that was a reasonable request. So um, uh, my mouth said yes. Uh, Five minutes. My heart, thank you. My heart said yes. And so I did, um, I've done it. Meeting, uh, intergroup, region two, world service, and all of the skills that I learned there have helped me to take it out into the community. And so um, I'm a part of, of, I'm not just OA, I feel a part of life and part of the community. Um, as OA members, um, we can't escape the ups and downs of life because um, that's what it is. And we have um, overeaters, um, sorry. <laughs> we, we have Overeaters Anonymous that's going to give us the strength to walk through any of the bad times that we have. You know, we have to hang in there. We listen to our sponsors and, um, and we work for recovery. We do abstinence. That all helps so that we're here today. So since I have a limited time, Um, I want to read something from um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm sorry, I know I'm breaking what they would like to do. I am going to be changing uh, a couple of the words, even though I'm reading it, but it's a message that I want everybody in there uh, here today to hear this. I know I must get along without food, but how can I? Have you sufficient substitute Yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous. There you'll find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus, we find the fellowship and so will you. So thank you for letting me um, share tonight and I hope you have a magnificent and awesome convention. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Tricia, for the great share. Appreciate that. Now, okay, sorry. Okay, now, we're going to hear from Dan Kay from Palm Springs. Dan's a recovering anorexic with an incredible story. He will share on the gifts of recovery. Please join me in welcoming Dan.
2: I'm Dan, I'm a recovering anorexic And it's great to be here tonight. I wanna thank Kathy for asking me to come and share. And um, I am always grateful to share my story and my recovery in OA. OA saved my life uh, to qualify. I celebrated 26 years of abstinence in April. And I always say that I daily celebrate about a 65 pound weight gain from my lowest weight. And I have 15 minutes to share tonight, and it's kind of impossible to put into 15 minutes what OA means to me and what my journey of recovery has meant to me and how big it is. I mean, it's my life is 10 times over different than what it was when I first came into recovery at age 25. Um, So, what happened or what it was like was um, I came from an intense. a uh, very abusive family, psychologically and emotionally abusive family. It was not physical and it wasn't sexual. And um, I really believe that anorexia was the thing I picked up to survive the ramifications of that. Um, I came to OA like many anorexics, believing that I was overeating I thought that I was obsessed with, I, thought, I knew I was obsessed with food and I thought I was obsessed with food because I thought I was an overeater. I thought, well, if you're obsessed with food, you're an overeater. It just seems so logical to me. I also felt incredibly guilty when I ate and I thought, well, I feel guilty after I eat because I'm an overeater. So I came to OA, I was already about 25 pounds underweight when I came to OA and I started identifying as a compulsive overeater. And I started doing the steps. Um, and I picked a sponsor and I did the steps in a very anorexic way. <laughs> That's a whole story, I won't go into that, but um, suffice it to say, I was doing the steps and I was sharing and I was putting my hand up at meetings And um, and it wasn't until about nine months into doing that and losing more and more and more and more weight that I was ready to face the truth of my disorder and that I was ready to face the truth of anorexia. And I again another hugely beautiful but long story where i sort of faced the reality of anorexia and the denial fell from my eyes and i again i was in oa i was going to many meetings doing service working really hard in recovery and i did kind of have a miracle of recovery where um, i was able to start eating and i gained 45 pounds 50 pounds in about two months and i was kind of shot back to life and um And I know that a lot of people come to OA and they work to get abstinent. And that's true for me too, but I will say that once I got abstinent, that's when the work began. And not not as to say that the work I did before that didn't count, but they always used to say in meetings, if you wanna find out why you're eating or not eating or barfing or any of those combinations of those behaviors, stop doing those behaviors and you're gonna find out why you're doing those behaviors. And that's what happened to me Um, suddenly I wasn't, everything wasn't fine in my life. Suddenly I had pain in ways that I couldn't describe. And again, many long, many stories around that part of my recovery. I'm trying to like do the cliff notes here. Um, And what I had to face in my life was pain around my family. I had to face pain around, I've come to see in my recovery that for me, abusive love, which is what was given to me in my family, and I know—I always say—I know that my parents abused their kids because they were abused, and that's all they could do. That's they couldn't find help in their lives, so they had to abuse their kids. And um, but what I've come to see in my recovery is that um, abusive love for me is the intertwining of love and danger, where there is real, real, true love, and there's also real, real, true danger, and um in a way for the first time in my life i started to what what was shown to me from the very beginning was real love love that wasn't intertwined with danger love that wasn't where people said what they meant and meant what they said and didn't have a hidden agenda and weren't talking about me behind my back and that created the space for me i believe to face my anorexia and to begin to heal and so Um, Yeah, and my recovery has just been kind of doing that next indicated thing. Um, One of the biggest things I learned in my fourth step was, for me, anorexia, you know, I always say that anorexia is a life disorder. It's not a food disorder. I don't have a food problem. My anorexia is everywhere in my life. Um, When I deny my human appetite for food, I disappear. I also, you know, I always say this when I lead meetings that are not anorexic, bulimic focus for anyone who's kind of angry that they have to listen to an anorexic right now. But, you know, I had a a friend of mine years ago talk about how she came to OA and she lost weight very quickly and she lost, she was suddenly a, whatever this is, a normal body size. And she got attention from men and she got attention from everybody and she put her weight back on and then some. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, Dan, I didn't have the spiritual muscle to handle that level of exposure. And when she said that, it made me, I realized in that very moment that while my friend Margo disappeared through overeating and food obsession and a big body, it was her disappearing act to try to stay safe in this world. I realized that my disappearing act is through smallness. I disappear by Get, by kind of shrinking away from life and disappearing out of my existence. And one of the primary ways that I do that is by denying my appetite. Denying my appetite for food is my chief primary way that I disappear as an anorexic. For me to have an appetite and to own that appetite means that I take up space and I exist. And I I've, I've face that more and more and more in my recovery. And today, I do not deny my appetites in any way, shape or form. I have basically complete freedom from food and food obsession. I have complete freedom from body dysmorphia. Um, but what I've really had to face is anorexia in all areas of my life, you know, denying any of my appetites is my disappearing act. And, um, and I have to be uncomfortable with getting big. You know, My mantra and my prayer to my higher power still is higher power, help me be big and help me get bigger. And I'm not just talking about food, I'm talking about help me take up space, help me stop apologizing for my existence. And I don't apologize for my existence, but I still need a higher power to help me with that compulsion. And I say that to my sponsors all the time that whenever I skipped a meal or pushed food off my plate or denied my sexuality or denied my desire for, for material lovelies and goodness. And every, every human desire, my anorexia seeks to annihilate. And whenever I do that, what I'm really doing is I'm apologizing for my existence. And that is not what my higher power wants for me. My higher, put, my higher power put me on this earth to take up space, to exist and to let people see who I am. And that's what I do today because of Recovery and of Readers Anonymous. Um, I mentioned that I was, you know, I was raised in really abusive, crazy, I call it the funhouse family. Up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. And I don't have that today in my life because of the steps and facing the wreckage of my past. I have a loving, healthy marriage to a man that is boringly available. I loved unavailable love. That was my favorite thing. I once dated a guy who told me he would pencil me in for a Saturday night. And I said, sure, just let me know. That's what I was raised to do. I was raised to accept the unacceptable. And OA modeled for me a life where I don't have to do that. I love myself too much to accept the unacceptable. And um, I mean, my life is really big and beautiful today. My life is really big. and. When I, when I run into resistance, it's-
1: Cuando la resistencia?
2: What was that? <laughs> was that my time? Or do I have five minutes left? I don't, anyway, okay, I'll just keep going. Um,
0: you do have five, you have almost, um, I'm almost about to call five minutes, thank so, you.
2: Great, thanks. Um, I was saying that whenever I run into problems in any way, it's always on some level that I'm trying to push something out. I'm trying to get empty again. And that is anorexia nervosa. And for me, my recovery is about taking in, letting in goodness. Nothing makes me feel more full than happiness. In my fourth step, one of the biggest things I learned, and this really just got to the root of my anorexia, which was, if I, I remember writing this out, if I don't let happiness in, If I don't let goodness in, happiness and goodness can never be taken from me. And it was like this perfect, horrible, disgusting, awful way of keeping myself, quote unquote, safe in life. And it doesn't work and it's kind of a joke, but today I risk happiness. I have a big, like I said before, I have a big full rich life that OA and the process of OA has given me the tools and ability to take it in. And I really believe that it's never that my higher power didn't want something for me. It's that I always wanted way, I, I never wanted enough for myself. So my higher power never ever said no. My higher power only said no, you, that is not good enough for you. You need to sit back and let me bring you the life that you deserve. And that is what recovery means to me today. And left to my own devices, I would have you know, married some crazy abusive person. I'd be dead in my body, that's for sure, if I would have continued with anorexia. I mean, my low weight was, you know, 125 pounds and I'm 6'5. I mean, I was literally a walking skeleton. But the the real death is the loss of myself. And my my topic whenever I speak at a big meeting is always the gifts of recovery. And for me, yes, I have a great life. Yes, I have a great life externally. Yes, I have a wonderful family and great friends. But the biggest gift that I've gotten in recovery is myself. I get myself back. I get to be who I am without apology. And I get to share who I am with other people. Again, I've I mean, i I've been telling the story lately in meetings that it really sums up anorexia. Early before recovery, I would call people's message machines back in the 90s when there were message machines. And the sound of my own voice coming through the receiver back into my ear would elicit so much shame and self-hatred that I would start to stutter and I would have to hang the phone up. And that's where I come from, feeling so guilty about existing that I can't leave a message on someone's uh, voicemail. And that's a metaphor for how I lived my whole life, was just this incredible guilt for existing. And it's been my recovery to face, where does that come from? I didn't just come up with that. That's a real thing that came again My story, maybe not yours, my story, it came from incredible abuse in my family. And I've had to unpack that and look at it and use the steps and use meetings and use the tools to walk through the healing process of that. And as I've done that, I got the life and I get the life beyond my wildest dreams. And that is just 100% my truth. And I I always say I didn't have the self-worth to dream the life that I have today. And that really is the truth for me today. I have a life beyond what I could have even imagined for myself. And it's just doing the process of recovery every single day, going to the meetings, making the calls, taking the calls, doing the inventory, year after year has led me to this wonderful thing that is my life. And being released from the food obsession and the guilt around food And the body obsession and the guilt around body, that's the tip of the iceberg for me. Uh, Yeah, that's the most important thing. But I keep coming back because I want the life that recovery gives me. And I have that life today. And I have to keep doing what I did to get it, to keep it. And that is just totally the truth. It's not like I get it and say, thanks. Okay, that's good. Thanks for your help. See ya. I have to keep doing what I've always done to keep letting in what I get from recovery. Gentle
1: reminder.
2: Thank you, I'll wrap up just by saying, and for me, it does keep getting better. I'm always asked, my higher power is always asking me to let more goodness in. And as an anorexic, that is the thing that I resist. And that is what I need a higher power for to help me continue continue to get bigger and to own and celebrate all of my appetites. So um, I'm so glad I could be here and share with you guys. Thanks for letting me.
0: Thanks, Dan. That was powerful and wonderful. Appreciate it. Many of us knew our final speaker, Kate B., when she lived in San Diego. She's in Montana now, and we are excited to hear her speak this evening. Please welcome
3: Kate B. hello uh, I'm Kate V and I live in Bozeman Montana um, I grew up in OA uh, in San Diego I came into OA in 1984 and it took me a little while I my abstinence date is December 7th 1985 so it took me a little while to get abstinence to figure it out um, I love Dan that what a what a good and I love Trish of course but uh, you know, my problem was kind of uh, different than that. <laughs> you know, I had feelings of worthlessness, but uh, my feelings of worthlessness were always uh, expressed by uh, overpowering somebody else <laughs> or make, making other people feel bad. So uh, it's lovely to have people <laughs> who don't do that. <laughs> um, so I, I, I came into the program. Uh, I'm one of five children. And my mother and father, both alcoholic, compulsive overeaters. Both of them are dead now. And uh, uh, out of the five children, we have one alcoholic and two compulsive overeaters. And I'm the only compulsive overeater in recovery. And so I just figured that I got the lucky, I got the lottery here uh, by winning uh, uh, the prize of being a compulsive eater. I, 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 I can't really say that it came from you know, this thing or that thing. I just think it's me. I, I just think I got, I had that biological predisposition because I started eating very early. Um, I was different. I had to have things under my pillow for me to go to sleep. I, um, I stole candy from my brothers and sisters. My mother uh, hid candy from me, uh, hid food from me, and I would always find it. Uh, She would come to me when she had lost something in the house because she knew that I could find it because I knew where everything was at all times and uh, especially food. I remember as a very young child getting up on the counter and going into the cabinets above the the stove because there were vitamin C tablets there that tasted good. (laughs) So I pretty much knew that I was different Uh, because brothers and sisters, and they didn't do that. My youngest brother did do that. And that's how I recognized him as a compulsive eater. Um, So I, I started this very young. And when I was like nine or 10, the most wonderful experience in my whole life was coming home and lying in the basement, on the couch watching television, all the lights were out. My mother and father were not at home to bug me to do some activity like piano lessons or swimming. I just got to be alone and I had stolen food uh, from my brother my brothers both were wrestlers and i i took their candy bars and i had milk or something and and i would just be alone in the dark eating and you know i still feel a little tendency to salivate when i talk about it because that was uh, the peak experience for me was being alone and eating and being totally avoiding you know being in, in avoidance of everything that was going on in my life um, it only got worse from there. You know, I graduated into um, dieting. As soon as I started dieting, I started binging. Uh, I didn't just eat the candy bars, I ate the whole package of candy bars. I would do things like, well, uh, you know, eat green beans out of a can, you know, the whole can. My deal was I wanted to eat as much as possible. And so it really didn't matter. I mean, I always preferred eating the, the yummy food that. Um, but I, I could eat anything. I, and I started dieting and I went to Weight Watchers and I did all those crazy diets in the grocery stores that people my age have done when they were teenagers. And uh, I went to the doctors. They gave me a diet. I really wasn't overweight uh, at that time, but I felt like I was. So and all of the girls uh, in my group were thinner than I was by about pounds. I was a swimmer. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but um, anyway, uh, the the dieting intensified the illness. Um, And I remember before going to Weight Watchers one time, uh, binging on a jar of mustard (laughs) because I thought it was low calorie uh, before getting weighed in. So it, it progressed from there. I went to, uh, uh, you know, before I went to college, I went to the medical weight loss clinic and um, I, uh, I spent all the money I was supposed to spend, you know, saving for college on this medical weight loss clinic. I didn't tell my parents because I didn't want their opinion. I just wanted to do it. You know, that is the height of self-seeking. You know, I, I, I lied to them so that they couldn't stop me from doing what I wanted to do. Went to college awesome weight, and uh, then gained it all back. Uh, And I did things like, uh, you know, my mother had taken me to all sorts of great programs on behavior modification. And for a normal eater, that might be good. But for me, it showed me a lot of really good tricks. Um, The teacher told us about a, a food holiday where you put all your favorite foods in a suitcase and put it under your bed. And as long as you've had your food ready the next day, you could eat anything in that suitcase just for that one day. Well, my food holidays became closer and closer and closer together. (laughs) So uh, I would go to the 7-Eleven, I would buy a bag of food, I would take it out in my car, my 67 Chevrolet station wagon, and I would eat that food uh, all over the city. And I could never offer anybody a ride home, even though I had a 67 station wagon, or was it a 68? I could never offer anybody a ride home because there was too many candy wrappers underneath the seats and they would melt the candy. That's how much I needed to, to be around the food all the time. So I went to college, I gained a bunch of weight. back, And uh, then I started smoking and, and I did a lot of things in college. So uh, by the time I ended, however, because I stopped dieting, my weight was exactly the same as when I went in. So I knew that dieting was part of the illness, that was part of the problem. So I went away on a fellowship after I graduated college to a foreign country, uh, which uh, uh, really values politeness and uh, demureness, especially women and I don't know if you can tell, but that's probably not the best fit for me. And uh, so I I continued to overeat. I had stopped binging for some reason for a while, and uh, but I can you know I overeat all the time. And so um, I got sick there, and my mother had me come home, and they put a special diet. And as soon as that happened, I started like I remember breaking into somebody's house and eating sugar cubes straight. <laughs> I don't know too many people who do that, but I did. So uh, uh, it, it just got terrible. Uh, I again gained a huge amount of weight. By the time another mother came got me and brought me home, I was 25, I think, and I, uh, 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 I weighed 201 pounds. And I was so large in my own opinion, that I refused to look for pants because I didn't want to admit to that pant size. So I wore a lot of moo's. and uh, you know I, I wore them to OA. You know, my mother when she came and got me, she said, "You need to go to OA." She had gotten into A, and at, in this during this time period, my father had left when I was 19, and we never saw him again. We assumed he died of alcoholism, and um, my mother had, and sister had both gotten into AA. So I knew that something was working in their lives because they were different people. And so I didn't oppose them when they suggested I go to OA. I did not like OA. I did not like OA in the least. I thought it was very pleasant that you folks held hands and said sweet prayers to each other. That was not going to be my future. Uh, so I, I, I came late. Um, left early. When I was in meetings, I sat on the row of half measures in the back and made jokes or maybe no, I don't even think I made jokes because nobody, I, nobody talked to me. When they talk about people, let us love you until you can learn to love yourself. Well, nobody was loving on me. I was, I felt, I, I didn't even introduce myself as a newcomer. I just kind of showed up. Something happened though, to me, I was fired in rapid suggestion, uh, succession by two sponsors, and um, then somebody volunteered to be my sponsor. And I thought that was great. She was nice. She was smart. She was smart enough for me. <laughs> if you can believe that. So uh, that was my attitude. So what we did is she started working with me out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't really think she knew how to eat very well. But i five know, minutes. Thank you. I do know that she worked out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so we worked very hard together. I, when I started reading that book, I was on fire. I remember starting to do uh, fifth steps uh, or fourth steps uh, because it it relieved my, uh, 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 I was always angry. I was involved with a drug addict, alcoholic man as my boyfriend, who is now my husband of 32 years. And uh, uh, I was always mad. He would take the car and leave me. And hours, five hours, I'd be sitting in the park waiting for him as he took my car. So, um, this helped me. And when I heard the third step prayer, that helped me a lot too. So, I got to grow up in Overeaters Anonymous, and a group of people in OA kidnapped me. They loved me, and they were my age. I was 25, and they, and they, included me in building this recovery home for women with eating disorders and they included me in their activities and they included me in their intensive world of service and this is what has made all the difference in my life. Uh, I can't imagine uh, my life in OA without this kind of service. I always had to do more service than was humble, and so I, I just was willing to do it. At some points, I was doing 20 hours a week of service. I remember being so excited about being in OA meetings. And you know, this is from somebody who came late and left early. And I began to really experience the miracles of recovery. So I worked through, uh, um, what I wanna say is, okay, so you saw that picture. When I got recovery, I was able to take a car trip across the United States from San Diego to the Grand Canyon and straight up to Montana. That's a long car trip. And I took it with my my compulsive overeating brother, another brother, and my newly recovering uh, drug addict boyfriend. In that car, at all times, there were potato chips crunched into every corner. My little brother was on on a diet because he was going into the Navy, which meant in one hand was a Diet Coke, and in the other hand was a gigantic bag of M&Ms. They would stop anywhere. In fact, we shared the meals, and my little one had a Texaco card. So something miraculous happened to me because I could go anywhere and abstain. <laughs> we had to eat 25% of our meals at Texaco stations and I could still abstain. I could go anywhere, do anything with anybody and abstain. And you know, life is long. And that initial period of freedom just was so fabulous. I could talk about nothing but that freedom. And so how do you keep that freedom? I'm 62 now, how do you keep that freedom through the years? And one of the things, I want to talk about that was really important was in order to keep that freedom, I had to let go of selfishness. And in our definition of selfishness, in the book, it's we want things to go according to our script. Well, I'll speak for myself. I want things to go my way. I want to behave the way I want them to behave. And if they don't, I'm going to have a fit. You know, I'm going to be or I'm going to judge them. And I'm going to think, wow, you know, look down my nose at them. I need to be honest, to give up dishonesty. I need to give up self-seeking, which is an action, not a thought, selfishness is a thought, but self-seeking is an action, trying to manipulate a situation or an outcome. And I needed to live in faith rather than fear. So these are four of the main character defects that they talk about in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And-
1: Gentle gentle reminder, Kate. And okay. did,
3: you, did you want us to show your picture? We you, Welcome to, yes, you're welcome to. Okay, Um, thank you. But I do wanna say that uh, when I learned how to do these things, my life got a lot simpler and a lot easier. And somebody who also had mental illness, major depression. That was me when I was 19 or 20. We were dismantling an art exhibit in New York, but that's me. So I think that now I am, I I weighed somewhere near 200 pounds then, and now I weigh 143. Oh, that's a good example of manipulation. So I get to abstain. I get to eat healthfully probably 80% of the time. I get to exercise moderately, and I get to eat dead on moderately um, 80% of the time. Um, And then the body that God wants for grows up and I better be appreciative of that body. Today, that body took me 14 miles on a, on a hike in a very, uh, a, a, a very big wilderness trail. So I gotta be grateful all the time for that. But I just I'm, wanted to point, okay, thank you. Thank I just you. wanted to wind up saying that releasing selfishness and being honest, you know, uh, telling people how I feel Uh, sharing embarrassing thoughts that I'm having. Like one time on my honeymoon, I told, I said to my husband, you know, honey, I really, I have this thought that I just really want you to get out of the car so I can eat. And when I said those words out of my mouth, we laughed because they were no longer powerful. So that honesty is important and uh, releasing manipulation and releasing fear. Uh, Those things have allowed me to abstain for, for six years now. Is it 36 or 35? I don't know, but that's a wonderful thing, not to know how long you've been abstaining. So thank you for letting me share. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Kate. always love listening to you. Great. Kate, I wanna thank all three of our fabulous speakers for their shares and their service tonight. We all benefit from hearing about your strengths, your hope and your experiences.